You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're still in a section that the Apostle Paul is dealing with a corrupt society and he's giving encouragement. And he's giving encouragement in respect to three distinct groups. And what he tells them, he says, we need to walk in love, we need to walk in light, and we need to walk in wisdom. Now, how does that happen? It only happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, it's, it's not the understanding of the glass with a pitcher of water. It's more of the hand in the glove. It's where the Holy Spirit leads us, and he, he puts us into situation. He brings to mind the things that need to happen, because if we're honest, if you're like me, it becomes very easy uh, to become myoptic, to think about yourself. It was very, very mind-opening to me of just, um, I didn't pray yesterday going to the air show of God open up opportunities for me to uh, preach the gospel, to be around people. It was like, man, I get to be on the flight line. I, I get to see people. And, and it was about me, 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 me. And uh, it, it just took me by surprise of how quickly I can get into that mindset. And I think it's true for all of us. And so we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit leads us. And again, Jesus gives us this great example. When Jesus would go off by himself, it was for a time of making sure that he spends time with the Father to keep the main things the main thing. And so the Apostle Paul is telling us as we're led by the Holy Spirit, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And he tells us this is an application to both uh, wives and husbands, children and parents. And today's we look at slaves and masters. And I want you to, to understand this as we come to this passage that the Apostle Paul was not, he wasn't a social crusader. He wasn't just about doing good things or being moral. He was concerned for the spread of the gospel. And again, I, I know there are people here who, who want me to speak directly to specific things in politics and racism and different things. And I'm telling you, the answer to all of that is the gospel. So if you're looking for me to be political, that's not going to happen. We'll deal with politics, we'll deal with racism as it comes a part of the scripture, but what needs to happen is we need to be more about praying, praying for the Holy Spirit to change people's lives by the power of the gospel. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us today. So we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free, and masters do the same to them, and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there there is no partiality with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, this is your word, and so we come to you and we ask the Holy Spirit, because if he's not here, if he's not enlightening our eyes or opening our hearts and our minds, then this means absolutely nothing. And so, Father, we need you to move, and we need you to move in a mighty way. And so, Father, allow us to be changed by this gospel. Make us truly look more like Jesus Christ 
when we leave this building than when we came. We know that you do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. As we want to unpack this passage, the first thing that we need to look at is that um, a lot of people in their commentaries switch very quickly from masters and slaves and make it in comparison to employers and employees. Now, we're going to look at the principles that change over, but I want you to understand that that is not what is happening here. He's talking about masters and slaves, or the word servant. Now, I want you to understand that because uh, things are very different, and we're going to unpack it a little bit as we go forward, but he is speaking specifically to masters and slaves. And so the first thing we have to understand is that there is household codes, because it should kind of pique your interest of why are slaves and masters mentioned in this section when you're dealing with wives and husbands and children? Well, there's a thing called um, household codes. And household codes, according to scholars, was where the, the, the masters and the slaves were actually in a family relationship. So the slaves were actually a part of the, the family. Now, there are some differences, and we'll get into that, but the slaves at this point assume the practices and obligations of their masters, and we see that in Scripture. So very much, it wasn't just the family that was circumcised, it was their servants as well. So they became an extended part of the family, and very much so, most people found freedom in this society because it wasn't bound to color, it wasn't bound to just specific people, it was more a social class. That was going on. And so the people, when they were freed, actually took their owner's names when they were released, and they actually received the status of the owner. So I want you to kind of get a little bit of the picture out of your mind of the 19th, 20th, 21st century America's idea of slavery, because that's not what's happening here. And so as we do that a little bit, we have to ask the question, especially in our day and age, was Paul in, just simply indifferent to slavery? Now, we want to look at the differences, and we also want to see, did Paul contradict himself? The differences, the the slavery in Paul's time, the understanding to to the people was that a third to one half of the population were slaves. Now, again, a lot of this came from prisoners of war. You went out, you won the war, you took the people. So there were a lot of um, bond servants that were uh, got that way, and then their children became uh, servants as well. So there's a lot of that happening, but there was also uh, people that were considered to be slaves that were administrators. Remember the story of Joseph when he becomes top in Potiphar's household? Okay, they could be administrators, they could be teachers, they could be doctors. So you could be a doctor and still be considered a slave. And so here's what happened in the Roman society is that the citizens didn't work at all. They had people do it for them. And so you had all of these people, but there was a lot of interaction that was going on. And again, there was uh, things that were happening that were good in regards to slavery. And again, most of us, if we're honest, still have to work for somebody. So I want you to be kind of think of that picture that we are working as they were working, a lot of them, for their masters. Now, again, that's different than our view of the South, okay? 
So I don't want you to equate the two. And I'd also don't want you to understand um, that there wasn't, there wasn't a contradictory going on here with Paul. Now, how do I know that? Paul is always against slavery. So if you, this is where, again, um, the, the part of what I love about Reformed theology and stuff like that, we don't look to the specific passage to say, well, this is what Paul believed. That's why we look at all of Scripture. Scripture defines Scripture. So we look at what Paul has to say. And the one thing that Paul does not do, he doesn't condone slavery in this passage. Now, if you remember the last couple of weeks, uh, Paul went to the natural outcoming, the outworking of creation for the husbands and wives and the family. They were divinely mandated. There was something that was good about that. He does not do that in regards to slavery. Okay, so there's also places, and we know this with Philemon and Onesimus, right? Where he fights and he says, don't treat Onesimus as a slave, treat him as a brother. So we know that Paul's not vying out there, he's not contradicting himself in the scripture, he's not for slavery, but he is telling them, hey, you need to be a Christian wherever you are. So if you find yourself in a place, in whatever situation, we are still called to be Christians. We're still called to live out what? The gospel. And it's the gospel that is the thing that is transformational. Because we are in Christ. That's the whole point of the passage. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's not saying, hey, you non-Christians go out there and be nice to other people. Again, it's not about morality. It's not about um, going out there and just being nice to one another. It's not Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz. It's not all that stuff. He's saying to Christians, you, because you are saved in Christ, because you understand the gospel that Christ lived a perfect life for you, gave his life as a ransom and now gives to you his righteousness, you now live it out. Live unto perfection. So we are to be changed by the gospel. And here's something very practical. When our theology is changed, it changes our philosophy. And when our philosophy is changed, it affects our ethics. And when our ethics are changed, it determines how we treat other people. See, I always say this. If you're just simply studying theology to study theology, and it doesn't make an application or it doesn't make a difference in how you live life, then you've missed the point. So if you go out there and think that the people who come and pick up your trash are beneath you, then you have not been changed by the gospel. And so he's telling us that, again, we have to be changed and let the gospel to transform us. And so what happens is we can even find it within the church. True story, when I was uh, doing this study, a pastor came to the church. Uh, it was a very big church. But so the, most of the people did not know that the pastor, they knew he's coming that morning, but they didn't know what he looked like. They didn't know what he did. So the pastor dressed up like he was a homeless person. And so he was out and he was mingling around with the people outside of the church. He was mingling with the people inside of the church, trying to talk to people. And he ended up being uh, seated in the church by himself. And he even had one person come up to him and, and tell him this quote, maybe you need to find another church for your kind of people. And then it came time for the pastor to be introduced. 
And so the people begin to clap and uh, begin to wait and here the homeless person comes to the front in silence. He goes, I guess we'll need to start working on some things starting next week. And sat down. See, even in the church, we can get to the place where we begin to think of others less important than ourselves. We begin to make those kind of distinctions. So what happens is we need to repent. We need to repent for the hardness of our hearts and the judgmental attitudes because we're changed by the gospel. Who is not welcome here? It should be no one. All should be welcome. And when transformation begins to happen, it's also part of our proclamation. I think Chuck Swindoll was right when he says this, the hours we spend at work each week are just as important for the promotion of the gospel as the few hours we spend each week at church. People are watching our Christianity. And you speak more about who Christ is to you in the hours that you are at your place of business than when we are sitting here and we're cleaned up. And so I want you to understand that Paul's speaking specifically to masters and slaves, but he does give to us principles that we apply to our day and age. And so the first thing we're to look at is what is the duty of the employees? And the first thing is he says that we're supposed to be about faithful service. Now it happens in three different ways. The first thing he tells us to do is to obey We are to obey, which means that we're supposed to willingly do the honest work that is assigned to us. Because, again, we live in a day and age where we want to bring our own ideas. And so sometimes we begin to think that our ideas are better than the business's ideas or my boss's ideas. And that might be true. I'm not asking people to stop. One of the things that uh, was brought up to us in regards to the church was we keep telling people that there's Bibles in the back. Why don't we have the, the deacon stand up and actually bring the Bibles to somebody who wants them and then actually give them the Bible? Well, that sounds really cool. Well, first of all, we bought the wrong Bible, so we're going to correct that. But that wasn't our idea. It was someone in the congregation's idea, and I think it's a great idea. However, it doesn't mean that just because they came up with that great idea that they don't have to now obey the rest of the stuff. See, obedience is willingly to do all honest work that's assigned to us, and we do it from a commitment of our heart, which means we don't just do the bare minimum. So we obey as to the Lord. Now, the second thing he tells us to do, so we not only obey, but we respect. Now, I know it's true, like some of the slaves during Paul's day, that we have people who are mean, cruel, mean-spirited, maybe even evil, we don't have to obey them and respect them, right? The military has a great quote, salute the uniform regardless of the man who wears it. That's respect. We might disagree, we might not appreciate, but we are to respect our employers, how? As unto the Lord. See, see, examples that we see with, with Joseph and Daniel, 
Remember, two individuals who were put in some very hard places, and yet by their work, by their respect, by their obedience, they find themselves being elevated more and more and more and more, and they do more for the gospel by living out their servanthood. It's the same for us. How do we live out our obedience and respect? And then the last thing he tells us, he says, it should be sincere. Now, what does this mean? It means that a lot of times what people used to do with statues and pottery, which was one of the the big things during that period, is if there were imperfections, what they would do is they would take wax and they would cover over the imperfections. So they wanted to sell you a good, a little bit higher price with a little bit lesser quality. Not that anybody in our day and age would ever do that. But the way that you overcame that is one is you put it up in the sun and you can start to see the wax melt or you put it up to the light because where there were cracks and there was wax the sun would shine through so they used to put the word that's in here um, to mean without wax and they would actually stamp it on the pottery that was good now, there's another word in here in sincerity where it goes, not only are we doing honest work, but we should do it with generosity or liberality. Are we doing more than what's expected of us? So we're supposed to do faithful service, but he goes further, the Apostle Paul, in telling us to be consistent in our service. Because he says something very unique, and they think that it might even be Paul made it up. Don't give eye service or be people pleasers. We all understand this, right? When the boss's eyes are upon you, you tend to work harder, or you might even work. But we've all been taught, right, how to get around things. I remember very clearly, I work for um, a nicer uh, seafood restaurant in Cocoa Beach growing up, and I was a busboy, and they actually made us work. And uh, one of the things we had to do every day was we'd had to shuck oysters, and we would have to shuck dozens upon dozens of oysters. So you shuck the shell of the oyster, you cut over the the oyster out so it's uh, separated, and then you put it back in the half shell, and you discard the other half, Right? Right until the time another busboy told me, like, you want to you um, save some time? We can save some time? How am I going to do that? There's only one oyster in the oyster, dude. No, they buy oysters that are already shucked. So here's what you do. You keep both sides of the oyster, so when things get really busy, you go back to the oysters back in the refrigerator, and you pull out the ones that are already shucked, just throw them on the half shell, and we sell them fresh. Well, that sounds pretty good. So here I was, stealing. Learned how to do things against my worker and against my fellow workers. We've all been a part of things, too, where they say, hey, don't make other people look bad. Slow down. Don't give as much. See, God's saying that's exactly the opposite for the Christian. If we only work when the boss is looking at us or we're giving our halfway, God knows. See, what he's telling us us is to put our eyes to God, work as to the Lord whose eyes are 
always upon us. So we give generously, we give consistently. Then he says, so that this might be God honoring. And that's really the the essence of this, isn't it? If someone sees the way that you work, would they say there's something different about that person? Or would they say, well, there's just like everybody else. See, we should be working in such a way that people would be um, noticing that the difference that we understand, first of all, it's from the heart. See, Jesus is the perfect example that God gave to us. It said it was the work on the cross. So Jesus is the perfect example of giving everything wholeheartedly. And so our work, which was given to us before the fall, is a dignity that we give back to the Lord. And we're supposed to have this in the midst of goodwill. So what does that mean? The Shakers used to have this saying, pray and work, work and pray. One of the the missionaries said this, my business is serving the Lord. I simply make shoes to pay the expenses. See, your vocation is secondary if you're a Christian. Your work is to the Lord. First and foremost, what you do is how you pay the bills. But our work should always be to the Lord. And as we do that, then it says, God will reward us. Don't be looking to man to do that. If you look to man, I'm telling you, especially those who've been around a long time, you are sadly disappointed. It's to God that we look, and sometimes he gives us earthly rewards. Hey, I like it when you guys get bonuses. If you're a giver. Hey, I like it when businesses grow. I'm glad when things come to the uh, Space Coast. I'm glad he's shooting off rockets. Heck yeah, shoot more. More money, more money, more money. Hey, that's great. We can use it. But if that's the only reason why we do things, then again, we're going to be sadly disappointed because what he tells us and tells us clearly in the Colossians passage is we look forward to our heavenly reward. See, our work does matter because it's done unto the Lord. And he's the one who makes it the way it's supposed to be. So we do that as employees. But there's also some principles for the employers. So there is a sense of reciprocity, which means this. When he uses do the same It's an idea of a principle of justice. It's a principle of what we would say is the golden rule, right? Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have done to you. So as we, as people who are in authority, find ourselves in that position, are we living in such a way? Are we doing our our ministry, in essence, the way that we would want the people underneath us to feel? Now, we have to understand this because uh, the principle of justice and the principle of the golden rule, the sameness principle, comes out in regards to the threats. 
And a lot of times, this is what Paul's speaking against specifically, but what happens is this happens when we begin to take the image of God and we begin to think the way that the Romans did. And we talked about this. This is the power of the Father. Remember? Hey, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it out in the streets. Hey, take my, uh, my servants, bond them together, put them out in the field. Hey, you've displeased me, so you're dead. You're gone. So he's looking to this Roman rule time because what they thought of people was property. And again, this, this doesn't change. It's not just back then. I, I've been watching this special on the evils, the evolution of evil. And so it deals with people like Lenin, Stalin, and, and others. And so Stalin, I watched the one on Stalin, it says, um, one of the quotes he had, he said, one man dies, that's a tragedy. One million people die, that's just simply a statistic. And so he had no problem going out there and killing hundreds of thousands of people at a time. Because for him, they were, according to his words, rats. And needed to be extinguished. His own people. And the people that were against him. Listen, the people that were underneath Lenin when he was coming up in power that snubbed him a little bit. When Lenin died, what did he do? He took him, he put him into prison and he said, here's what I'm going to do. You um, admit to these trumped up charges that are, that are not true and I will let your families live. If not, I'm going to kill them in front of you. So we have these false trials and go out and then he would take these people and he would set them free in front of the people and he'd let them go to other countries and then he'd send assassins after them. See, it doesn't go away. This is how people treat other people. So you know what Stalin, all the evil people used to do? What they say had to happen so that they could be in power? Destruction of the family. Sound familiar? If you can destroy the family, if you can have kids rising up that would call Stalin their father and turn in their own parents for things. And then to create people to simply be, why do you think they put numbers on the Jews and never call them by their name? If you can devalue someone to the point where they are expendable, then it's easy, easy to pull the trigger. How hard is it to step on a cockroach in Florida? Not too hard. Now let me ask you, hunters, how hard is it to kill Bambi? See, if we devalue then people become expendable. When they become expendable, it's easy to threaten and coerce. But we as Christians are called to respect because everyone is created in what? God's image. God's image. So we have the understanding where we need to bring about real worth. And I understand because there are people in here who it's easier for you to believe the lies and the negativities about yourself it's easier to hear the things and begin to personalize things and say, oh, well, this is my fault. And it's even um, yesterday, someone came up and said, hey, I met a friend that I hadn't seen in a number of years. And what they came and told me about was I, I wanted to just kill myself. So when you contacted me, I wanted to come and see you to tell you that I love you. 
how many people are out there? How many people are treated as if they have no worth at all? And yet, as Christians, we are called to come and to tell them of the value that they have, that it is a privilege. Listen, I don't see this job as, a, as an opportunity to just simply be the pastor. It is a, I truly count it as a privilege and an honor to be a part of your lives. I love it. I, if you guys complain about my preaching and stuff like that, eh, okay, I'll listen to you. You say that I'm an unloving pastor, that hurts me. Because the thing I want to make sure of is that you know that I love you and I pray for you and I'm there whether it's cleaning gutters or coming and doing funerals or being at the hospital at four o'clock in the morning, whatever it might be. I can't be everything to everybody, but I can try to love you as best I can. And see, if we're all doing that for each other and we're building up the value, then what do we have to look forward to? Not, thank you, pastor, you're so great that you came to the hospital. What I'm looking forward to is well done, good and faithful servant. So where's your heart? Is it truly to go out and to minister And he leaves us with one last principle. He tells us that there's one master. There's only one, ultimately. And he's an impartial master. See, it's the lordship of Christ over earthly masters and slaves. He's over everyone. And he tells us very clearly that we are equal. Galatians 3, 28 says that we're all one in Christ. Remember, this is the passage where he says, there's no slave or free. Now, I want you to understand that, that he was speaking this in church, which meant that there were slaves and masters sitting next to each other. Children were sitting in, listening to this teaching. Everyone was there. And Paul was saying, we're all equal in Christ. And because we're all equal in Christ, we have to remind ourselves that he, and only he, will judge perfectly one day. Because he judges us perfectly, and he judges the heart. So as we're changed by the gospel, how are we living it out? Let me make just one very practical thing. As we are saying goodbye to Chris, and as we begin the process of looking uh, to find his replacement, obviously there's a lot of things that start coming out of things that we do well at Northside and things we do poorly at Northside. And that's always so fun to hear. Pastor, you stink at this. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. You elders really messed this thing up. You know what we really need? And here's my problem. When people start saying, you all. What you need to do. What the session needs to do. What the deacons need to do. As if this is not your family. I would never let my kids come home and say, well, you know, mom and dad, you are raising Jameson incorrectly. Really? You're a part of the family. Maybe if we're all united, we'll start seeing things change. One thing, that it's an elephant in the room for our church. 
we don't have children's ministry? Are we going to be able to pay for someone to come in and do children's ministry? No. But who has God equipped to come alongside John Roberts specifically in Sunday school, but in the midst of the church and put together a children's ministry that people who have young children, you know what, Timothy, Timothy, Ben and I, we're tired of playing tag with two people. Timothy needs more people to come his age. We need people to stay because we have ministries to offer. There's so much more, and I'm sure you guys have got a list that you have. Well, that's just one thing on my list, Pastor. That's okay. We need to hear it. If you come with an understanding of we're family, we're family who's here to do our work unto the Lord for his glory and his honor. And when we begin to minister to one another, you'll start to see the Spirit move in ways that we can only dream and imagine. Again, I'm begging you, I'm begging you to pray big. And don't pray that Northside gets big just to get big. That's a dangerous prayer. Pray that God brings the right people with the right skills to do ministry to one another and to this community. So that if this church was to ever leave, and again, I'm expendable, the elders are expendable, the deacons are expendable, we're all going to die. Some of us sooner rather than later. And that's okay. It's not about us. It's about the greater kingdom. And that's what Paul's talking about. Not a social gospel, not a social crusader, that the spread of the gospel goes forth in this room and the surrounding community. See Jesus glorified and honored. Pray big, Northside, pray big. And don't give up. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we don't measure up. And that's a good thing because it makes us run to Christ. And as we run to Christ, we know that he is the one who changes us by the gospel. He transforms us. And as he takes that transformation, it becomes proclamation. And it becomes proclamation, Lord. It changes not only who we are, but it changes those around us and the society as well. Lord, why did slavery stop? Because Christians were being Christian. So, Father, I pray that we would be diligent to be called to that ministry, to love one another, to build each other up, to truly be Christian husbands and wives, to be Christian children and parents, to be Christian employers and employees, that we would give you all the glory and honor, that we would give it from loving hearts, hearts that are changed, hearts that are given to you so that in all things, Christ might be preeminent. And Father, the only way that can happen is if you lead us by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. May we truly, truly allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide. And then Father, 
Allow us to watch you work and move and to build your kingdom, sometimes in spite of us, but Lord, mostly because you include us, because you want us, which is so much more appealing and desirable. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our perfect example. And it's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen.